Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. This episode of Systematic is brought to you by PDF Pen, the Swiss Army knife for PDFs. You can find out more information at smilesoftware.com slash systematic. My guest this week is Ed Zitron, founder and CEO of EZPR, and also an author and a writer and uh, a career in journalism as well. How's it going, Ed? Going very well. Thanks for having me on. So tell me about EZPR. It's uh, a San Francisco-based press relations firm, correct? Yeah, it's media relations. PR is one of those amorphous blobs of nonsense <laughs> where you, you'll you find many people will give it many de- definitions and then write even more vacuous, completely dull and empty-headed things about what is PR, which is a good way for them to define things that they're good at and things that they're not good at are bad and should be removed. And media relations would be the one that I really specialize in. And Martin, there's five of us. And we've grown to the size revenue-wise of firms about 10 times our size, not because we're ruthless capitalists or whatever i mean money's good you have to have it to buy things and pay the mortgage turns out the mortgage company would not take exposure (laughs) so which i just think is unreasonable whatever but the big thing is that media relations requires you to be an actual person and actually be able to talk to other people and you know this crazy idea that you actually have to know about the subject that you're talking about and your client but a lot of these PR people, they go out there, they spam. So mail merging, I call it, or people call it as well. I didn't invent it. I These people tend to just spam out the same email to a list of how many bloody people. And they go out and they go, oh, my cup of thing. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You've got multi, uh, $100 million, $200 million firms that do it, that substantiate themselves, and that you can spam out Motorola or someone very big because the journalists kind of have to cover that because their readers have to read it. The real finesse is taking on the right clients and actually being able to put together an email that's halfway readable that doesn't make you sound like a complete idiot and also is just something they can read and go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So you said you have to know both the the product and the client or like per, the person you're pitching. Yeah. And I think that's the half that, in my experience, as both – uh, someone who has to has had to market things and a journalist uh, knowing who you're writing to is the part that people always skip. It's a little bit more than that. I found in my experience, I did the journalism side for about seven years paid and I've never stopped writing. Really? I've done vice. I've done USA today, wall street journal. One thing that really bothers me is that these PR kids I'll call them, even when they're older than me, because I'm broken and old inside. <laughs> they don't know what they're talking about. They, I try and aspire to and make my team aspire to this standard of knowing at least half of what the journalists know. I try and know as much as I can possibly know on a subject to the point that I can talk about it historically. I met with a potential client yesterday. I was mentioning things like Ning, which is a social network for social networks, believe it or not, uh, going back to Usenet. And she genuinely looked surprised because most PR people will be like, I know Facebook and Instagram brands and that kind of vacuous, empty-headed garbage. 
is not i mean they might survive because this industry is collusion of idiocy just sticking together like a rat king and they they will survive but what makes me better i don't care about saying that bring it on idiots is i do know my stuff there is a large games company i can't mention who it is that i work with and i know their subjects i know their games i know their stuff back and front and side to side partly because i wrote about games for a while but also because i do play a lot of games i know my games i'm good at my games i don't let that stuff fly but again i still know my tech as well i can build a pc which apparently with npr is like some sort of weird nerd thing even though many of the people i talk to on this higher level who are just nonsense makers who spam they're working for the various chipset manufacturers and that fills me full of bile and rage (laughs) Which which would hurt a lot more if I wasn't quite doing well for myself and uh, didn't work. I only work eight hours a day at most, so I'm, I'm actually quite happy. Is that the is that the standard? If you work, oh, because you're in San Francisco, so like twelve uh, hours yeah. is normal. Well, it's more an industry thing. So <laughs> I remember my first job. I had this boss. He was a terrible man. I don't care. I don't care saying that. I've told him. If he wants to try and sue me, well, I know my attorney's better, but also he's an ass, And I mean that in the sense of a donkey, not as a swear word. <laughs> Need to make sure this is PG-13. But he he was very nasty to his employees. And you'd get in at nine. If you weren't in at nine, you'd get like a black mark on your record, like it mattered, even if it was 901. And there was like a set dress code for no reason. As no clients came in, there were barely any windows. And if you left at six, it wasn't even like anyone said something. They would just look at you. Wow. They said it was nine to six, but they'd look at you. They'd give you this look of just why you're not still here. Even if there's nothing more that you can do. Even if your stuff is done. Or doesn't really have to be done until three days from then. They expected there was this weird kind of urge that you had to stay until seven or eight. That kind of expectation is why I'm currently an independent developer. And it's why I run my own agency. Because I believe (laughs) that if... uh, A good friend of mine, Chris Heinz, who now runs Player Relations, I believe, at Riot Games, who makes League of Legends. So he once sat down with me during a work day at my second agency, which actually treated me quite well, triple point. And we made this fake deck called Do Whatever PR. And it actually became a weird part of the philosophy of what what I do, because it was like, we work from wherever, we do whatever. And it was just this whole philosophy of just, if it's done, why are you, why are you working more? If everything that you can foreseeably do, if you're done enough in four hours, why are you working eight hours? Yeah. Or why why not stop for an hour in the middle and have a beer with a a contact? Not that I did this, kids. <laughs> Cough. <laughs> and it as long as you're not getting inebriated to the point of ridiculousness within that time. But the point, the more point I'm making is, if you can get all your things done in four hours, I've said this. All my employees are more than happy, and I actually get quite annoyed. The only time on hours I get annoyed with my employees if I is if I have two blokes. Uh, Ben and Kevin on the East Coast. And if I see them on doing work at a ridiculous hour, so 6 p.m. my time, so 9 p.m. their time, 
I don't know if I get angry at them, but I'm kind of like, lads, you want to just go do something else? <laughs> you sure? Well, I'm happy. I appreciate the work ethic and you're getting things done. We need done. But unless you're late on your work, in which case, whatever. I don't do it every time, but also my chief of staff, Royal, he's on PST. But this man, he's like my, he, he is the power source behind me. And he'll be working on things late into the night. And there have been a few times where I've been, boy, Royal, just, it's all right. You can do it tomorrow. <laughs> or he's been sick. And I've said, no, take the day off. Oh, God. And apparently this is a weird thing, which I don't understand because it's not detrimental to work. It's not detrimental to business. It does not change anything. If you fail to do a task, fine. That is a failure inherently on you. But And ultimately every failure in the business is on me regardless. But if you're just working for the sake of working, if you're just doing things for reasons – because you want to have a good work ethic, quote unquote, then just screw you. Well, you're and not, the other side, of, the other side of that though is, if you if management can't set realistic expectations and therefore every project requires like overnight work binges, you're not getting the same. You're not getting good work that way either. In PR, you're working journalist hours. If you're pitching reporters on the West Coast and the East Coast, realistically, the only, the maximum you could work, and this is assuming you are working from reporters who are very dedicated from, so they wake up at 7 a.m. On PSD, the earliest you could start working, and this is absolutely true, would be four in the morning, and you could stop at I would say 5 p.m. PSD. Now, that would be the most ridiculous day of your life, and I have no <laughs> idea where you've done it. But realistically, if you wake up at 8 a.m., that is now 11 a.m. EST, 8 a.m. PSD, your work day can end at 4. Because sure. really, at that point, the journalists haven't been one. It's not that they've clocked off at that time, but they're, work they're finishing up their day. Right. Or they're finishing stories that have got late into the day, and the one thing they don't want to hear is some PR ponce going hello well and, and at best they're just gonna snooze that message till morning anyway yeah and i'm lucky enough that i have relationships where if i do pitch at that time i do get responses but nevertheless realistically there's only so much one can do in a day and i just don't understand that work ethic it it frustrates me and it hurts people and it disgusts people it makes people sad and broken people and conversely, I don't know, they'll listen to this, but I feel like it's engendered a great deal of loyalty with my staff. They know that they're not there to work X hours. They're there to work. Yeah. And I mean, if, if it's 11 a.m. their time and I ask them something and they've just sodded off for four hours on some jaunt without telling me, yes, I will be rather annoyed at them. But that's never happened. And I give them a great deal of freedom. I do not. I don't, there is no Overlord Zitron. And there, we have a vacations part of our Slack where we put when we're going to be gone. So we're transparent about that. But that's really it. And I don't understand. I may, perhaps with a larger thing, perhaps with past 15 people, that might become less, less uh, that might become a bit impossible. But at the same time, even then, if all the work is done, who really cares if they're on a toilet on the beach? 
on a toilet on a beach if such a thing exists and that would still work if they have an I think that's called the ocean Toilet on a beach? Are you suggesting that's where you go to the toilet? Because that's I'm just, suggesting that's where a lot of people go. A lot of people go to the toilet in the ocean. There we are. We all learned something today. <laughs> I haven't Never spent enough time on a beach to know. But... No, I spend time on the beach. I'm not going in there. <laughs> so you're probably bored with this comparison, but I have to say that this interview thus far reminds me a lot of early John Lydon interviews from the late 70s, like Sex Pistols, Johnny Rotten. <laughs> oh, if only I like the Sex Pistols. <laughs> I, it's well, that's it's I'm act- comparing you to Leiden, not necessarily yes, uh, Easy PR to the Sex Pistols, but uh, well, it's a it's a I, it's a slightly it's a vitri- vitriolic attitude towards your own industry, and yes. you're willing to just do things differently because screw it all. Well, thank. I, I want to thank my esteemed terrible competition. I truly do, because they have made me quite wealthy. Their ineptitude and inability to do the most basic things has made it quite easy to tear clients from their coffers, not deliberately, they come to me, and to continue hiring people who also are good at it so that we all can continue to win together. And that's the thing. I, the vitriol is there because of my first year and because of people I know still doing it who are getting very rich. And that's not jealousy. I just know people are being scammed. I know that there are agencies charging $24,000 a month to do sweet Fanny Adams. They are absolutely nothing merchants. Very large, nearly a billion dollar agency used to sidecar with me, which means just work with me on a client. And I had one person, this girl who I won't name because I have more class than that, said up and down and side to side, she had a story running with a bloke from Yahoo. I met that guy for breakfast the next day. And guess what? He never even responded to her email. And when I brought that up, CEO didn't care. I said a few curse words I won't repeat because I'm an angry man when it comes to that, because I just, that is really it. It's an industry of obfuscating the truth, but not in the way people think. People see it as spin, these spin doctors who are doing this, that, and the other to obfuscate the public's view of something. Really, perhaps not in the industry I'm in, but people aren't stupid, or at least they're not as stupid as people think in technology. They're not going to use something inherently bad if something doesn't work well, they might buy it, but they will probably return it. They, and if they don't return it, they will say bad things about it on the internet. Yeah. Companies do not survive through mediocrity anymore. And yet, you have the obfuscation of truth is on the other side. And then there are great companies who get bad PR. And by bad PR, I mean not getting any results. And that's because these lying little monsters... And really, I attribute half of that to the younglings, if you call them that, the newbies who just don't think, hmm, perhaps this isn't working or, huh, what I'm writing sounds like it was regurgitated from a thesaurus. Well, hmm, this email's 800 words long. Huh, why am I sending it to 100 people? That's the kind of human thought that they cut off. And the management that does this, those people should in some wonderful world where I am king, horrible idea, um, 
I would have them put in prison, but really they should be, they should be, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I really feel like they, they, they need to pay. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm curious, tell me how you feel about, um, social media specialists. Drown them in the ocean. That's kind of what I predicted you would say. I feel uh, the same. Though. I don't actually truly think anyone should. I don't think anyone should actually be killed for this. I really don't <laughs> think that. I want to make that clear. Just no become destitute, die. perhaps. Yeah, just just not even destitute. You know what? I don't believe these shysters should. They should not be rich. And I don't believe that the people who have got rich, who are ultimately doing not very much, I don't believe that they should be, I don't think they should be paid. I don't think they should be, they should have jobs. I don't think they should have fame, not out of the fact that there are more worthy people there to take their their magic away. I don't know. I just feel like they need to... They... They need to stop. It needs to stop. It really just needs to stop. These people need to be taken out. The people who do a podcast a day about vapid social media nonsense. I have over 40,000 Twitter followers and they are great people, love my followers and so on and so forth, but I didn't get them by going through some vast social media penitent man will pass end of indiana jones nonsense fest <laughs> i just kind of tweeted things and when i started twitter i was as thirsty as the rest of the pr people going and people saying oh yeah you know right talk to me i sent you an email and then eventually i realized that i just and a will porter my old editor at pc zone taught me this part which is PCs on the games mag I worked at. He said, don't try and be funny. So what I started doing on Twitter was just posting the stuff that made me laugh in my head as a sort of valve for my brain. And that has been so much more successful than <laughs> most social media experts and the Brian Solaces of the world. Those people are, they are, they are hashtag, they are hashtag flows. They are not real. They, they are, perpetual self-promoters what do they do with their life when they go home do they have intercourse with a copy of their own book do they simply keep working on these long documents that say very little what is it with these people what do they do social media strategy is barely a thing well and and it's one of those cases where i feel that uh the mediocrity of the results should have killed that quote-unquote industry at this point no i just i don't see that anyone's making any of the clients hiring these people are making enough off of it to justify the continued continued existence of the industry so before i came along i truly do credit myself at least causing at least this black eye the pr industry was getting very rich on just the lack of knowledge of results so they didn't know what results were. It was just a thing you get posted on the internet. I don't know. Do you? <laughs> cool. Okay. And they were much more willing to accept excuses. Perhaps it was me. Perhaps it was time. I don't know. Perhaps it was the financial crises. But there is a degree of cottoning on to the fact that 
big, small, and the, the, there's also a fallacy that it's only big agencies. It's just as commonly small ones. Five-person shops, 15-person shops, 25-person shops, whoever. You can lie with any voice. These, the, It's comparable to the social media shysters in the sense that bad PR people want to get you as far away from real, meaningful things and definitive statements as possible. Yeah. They want to get you trapped in this quagmire of, well, it will work eventually. <laughs> or perhaps it's just your fault. They will gaslight you into a continued contract. And those people I want to, perhaps those people should be drowned. I don't know. I'm not saying they should be, but uh, I'm not God. <laughs> but maybe God wants them dead. I'm not, not saying I should kill them. Phrase it like Trump and just say, uh, a, a lot of people are saying... A lot of people, I hear, I have great advisors, <laughs> great advisors. They say, they say they should die. <laughs> My advisors. So speaking of uh, of intercourse with books, um, you had a book uh, in 2013 called This Is How You Pitch, How to Kick Ass in Your First Years of PR. Um, how did that go? It went really well. I am... Um, Goodness, I finished that book in 2011. And that book went not well at first. I put it out there. I expected more from it because book book PR is borderline impossible if you're not picked up by a big publisher. Right. It just isn't. And you can hope to go on. And that's why you find a lot of these social media marketers with their books really just pushing and pushing and pushing, constantly, quote unquote, hustling to get their book out there. I didn't really have that in me. I just couldn't do it. So I found a distributor to help me do so, to get into some schools. I hired a speaking manager. I have since fired said speaking manager. What I really did, though, was try and get it into the hands of as many journalists as possible. I wanted them to read it. I wanted their read on it. I wanted to see if I was wrong. I wasn't. People liked it. Got good press somewhere. Very little. Uh, you don't hit the New York Times in the book like that. These books don't sell well, but now it's a nice little income. Sure, it's a mo- it's a sizable monthly income, not enough to pay the rent in San Francisco, but yeah, car payment. <laughs> and that's the thing. That book, I feel, is what I got a lovely message the other day saying it really gave someone the, a student saying it gave them. The real deal feel of PR or something along that. I don't think they rhymed as well as I did. <laughs> but And that's nice because it really was in the style of the alter, uh, alternate reality game done by Trent Reznor for the Nine Inch Nails album Year Zero. This was a book that I inherently thought, I want to write this and throw it back in time to stop me going into PR. Because had I known any of how this industry worked, I'd have been like, no, mate, no, no, thanks. No, stay with games writing. But I wouldn't have the lovely life I have. But nevertheless, I definitely would have said no. And I like the idea that maybe someone didn't go into PR because of me or that I am creating a generation, even a small generation of pure idiocy idiocy and jokiness within a very stuck-up brand-oriented nonsense cabal. And I know it's working because people hate me. 
there are people who legitimately send me hate mail with swear words I cannot repeat on this podcast, uh, hate pieces. But then again, I've been profiled by Newsweek and I've got great clients, clients I never thought I'd get. Well, you 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 present yourself as uh, you you present yourself controversially, like you don't uh, you're not polite about your feelings. So that, that's going to create you know both. You're, you, there are going to be people who appreciate that kind of brazen honesty, and then people who react very poorly to it, especially if they're the target of your uh, your angrier statements. That makes sense to me. Yeah. And also what what probably makes them upset is I'm not calling them bad. Well, I'm calling their practices bad. I'm never saying to them, hey, you need to you need to do XYZ personally. I'm never calling out agencies. I'm just I'm saying this practice sucks. And as I keep saying that, more people are saying, yeah, it does suck. People who pay them. So they're not <laughs> paying them anymore. So they're mad. Or I'm saying stuff like social media and content marketing are garbage and PR firms shouldn't do them. And the getting a client to pay you to write their blog for them is what I would consider borderline fraudulent. So- I've never said it in quite those terms, but... <laughs> I bet they, I otherwise they'd have a real reason. No, they'd still be wrong, but they don't like that because to be good at media relations is not easy and requires you to do book reading and have real life experience. And honestly, that's kind of one of those situations where I don't care and I hope they're upset. I hope they're upset I've gone in their garden and urinated on their lilies. I don't know. And they they will continue to suffer by my hand because I will never stop ever calling out these things. And there will always be clients who think they need social media marketing. There will always be ones who believe they need a content market strategy, content marketing even. And they will always think that and they will always have that money. But in the end, there will be less of it to go around because people, clients, big clients – are realizing it's trash. And I hope I'm part of that. So it's almost I, a crusade for you. Yes. To upend Not, the PR industry. Yeah, because I'm already doing well. I could stop right now, but I'm not going to. Ever. Well, I mean, I probably will when I retire. Come on, mate. To, uh, well, that, just, that is what you do when you retire, so. Yeah, well, ask my father. He's retired twice. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've it, heard it, that story. It's, it's uh, it's one of those things where truly bad people, bad at their jobs, I can't speak for their internal character, but you have to be somewhat wrong to keep doing it, are succeeding in my industry. And there are people I would love to name, but there is a certain moral code I have which says calling someone out specifically in public is cruel. That unless they avoid done hate mail, i it's not about the hate mail. It's about me. No, it's, it makes sense. I think that's uh, that's that's solid. You can't you can't criticize uh, you can't criticize an industry or individual people if you don't if people can't trust that you have some kind of code of your own. 
Yeah. And the, and it, like, I could name the specific person I was talking about earlier. And goodness do I want to, because she, <laughs> su- she succeeded way more than she's deserved to. And she has moved on to really great places. And I know she's bad. And part of me says, nah, burn. But no, honestly, no. If there is justice in the world, she will get not, she'll no longer succeed or she'll succeed just like many bad people do. It is not my job. I am not the punisher of PR. I am not here to remove specific people unless they are truly awful. I will attack bad practices. I will attack bad agencies. I will not attack specific people unless they come at me publicly. If they do, then all bets are off, mate. I will take you. <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, at that point, it's it's just a fight. And and then the rules change. But I'm not going to... There are people who who have publicly attacked me under anon, anonymous names, to which I say, you're cowards. Yeah. And I will find out who you are. And then I will draw you out and I will spit on you. But that's only because that is my other moral code, which is... You don't deserve to have an insult aimed at someone publicly if you're not willing to take one back. You must. It is discourse, negative or positive. I I wish I'd ever had the confidence to, like, I've been uh, called out on things on Twitter, via blog posts, whatever, but I've never been so confident in what I was doing that I could retaliate in any uh Heroic fashion. Uh, it's for me. It's just if there, I have been attacked by an anonymous blog. I will not name, and I'd love to know exactly who's doing it. Just because you know what, have have the brass ones to directly attack me. Attack me on. I totally subs- agree. And yeah. it's just it's cowardice, and I'm not going to. Also, there is a certain joy to quoting them to my Twitter feed and watching the. Fl- Feathers fly, which I understand is probably why they stayed anonymous. But <laughs> reap what you sow. Yeah. Don't do it or do it with your face on. All right. And I realize this, this sounds very negative. I love what I'm doing. I really do. I have lovely clients. I have lovely, lovely staff. I feel like I am making how measurable, I don't know, but a measurable change. I've got a new book coming out called Fire Your Publicist that I just got the audiobook back from. So my first book I got, an actor called Peter Stormare, who's a famous Swedish actor. He's been in a number of things. Fargo, I'd say The Big Lebowski, but he's not the biggest fan of that role. Um, he was an arrow. Who was he in Lebowski? He, he was Carl Hungus. Okay. And But again, it's, it's the uh, Alec Guinness-Obi-Wan Kenobi comparison. Alec Guinness was a stage-trained actor... Yeah. As, is, as is Peter and it's to have your life as an actor reduced to a common response of oh my god you were the pornographic electrician <laughs> that is insulting yeah I imagine so but he was brilliant for the sell you pitch and I, maybe an hour before this call I got the audio back audiobook back from Fire Your Publicist and as, as yet unreleased book which is for, for more general people, for, for, for people not in PR when my first book really was. This one is for anyone to read and get a handle on it. 
and James just did the read. He's an amazing British actor. He was in Count of Monte Cristo. He was in Tron. He was in uh, last season of Gotham, I believe. And he is just fantastic. And the read, he captures my bile and anger <laughs> very well. And he gets it. He truly gets the subject matter, as did Peter. But with this very generalist one, I wanted someone with my accent. Sure. And actually, an Americanized British actor was absolutely bloody perfect. I couldn't be happier. <laughs> and that should be coming out by the end of the month, though. Honestly, I'm working on trying to find someone to do the forward. And until I do that, I'm not going to release it because why would I? Why would I bother? I, I, my real job pays the bills. The book stuff is almost, uh, I was about to say, a crime of passion. So that's what I'm sticking with. Fair enough. I'd like to take a moment to thank uh, Smile Software and PDF Pen. PDF Pen is the Swiss Army knife for PDFs, and PDF Pen Pro is the knife with so many tools that it can barely fit in your pocket. PDF Pen Pro has all the standard tools to add signatures, edit text and images, perform OCR on scanned documents, and export in Microsoft Word format. Only PDF Pen Pro can create interactive PDF forms, build a table of contents, set document permissions, and convert websites to multi-page PDFs. PDF Pen Pro adds easy editing of OCR text from scanned documents, as well as export in Microsoft Excel, Microsoft PowerPoint, and PDF Archive formats. You can try the demo download of PDF Pen Pro today at smilesoftware.com systematic. So thanks again to Smile and PDF Pen, the Swiss Army knife for PDFs. All right. Well, that brings us to the uh, top three picks segment. Okie dokie. So, so what we'll do is go back and forth one pick at a time. And we will discuss, to the best of our abilities, if you were to pick something that I knew nothing about, it would all be on you then. But okay. uh, you get to go first. All right, then. The song I can't stop listening to at the moment. Okay. I'm not sure if that's fair, but I can absolutely not stop listening to the most bizarre mashup. And it's amazing. It is a mashup of, it's called Nerve Survey. Remix. It is a mashup of a Kanye West song I don't know, a, uh, The Prodigy, Wild Frontier, and Queens of Stone Age, my favorite bands, Avon. And it is this insane, insane, almost cinematic song because Wild Frontier and The Prodigy could make film soundtracks. And it's done by this guy called Totem, uh, Thomas Bolvin. He has a Kickstarter at the moment. Please put money into it. Do not give me money. Give him money. He is this very gifted mashup artist I've known for a great deal of time. He actually made a mashup for my brother's wedding, which I DJed part of. And this song, though, is all three separate are good songs. The well, like all Prodigy songs, Wild Frontier is a bit meandering, goes on a bit long, and feels a bit pointless. Avon is a Queens of Stone Age classic. But it's older, and I've heard it about a thousand times. And the Kanye West song, I've heard it now. I don't remember the name, actually. It's good. It's not something I'd listened to originally. Together, they sound like something you'd you'd have in the final fight of a really good like, John Wick sequel. Like with John Wick. John Wick, if you've not seen that, you should see it. That's one of my favorite action movies for the last ten years now. Peter Stormare is going to be in the sequel. Nice, <laughs> um, but no, it feels like it should be in like the final fight scene of of a of John Wick two. It, it is it is an epic song, which I would not say of any of those three bands. 
but combine this it's just an insane insane thing i've listened to it like a crazy person about 25 times in the last two days i, I have to I have do that with of, mashups yeah i i'm repetitive with things i i'm kind of an addict with certain music i'll keep going we didn't talk about mental health at all well we can get to that if you'd like yeah we might come back to that i'm more than happy to i've got all the time in the world <laughs> um I was going to say that uh, there is a, there are a lot of mashups that combine songs that I may not even have liked on their own. Yeah. Into things that I do like. I love the entire genre of mashup and what people can do with that. Uh, there was one that was uh, Nine Inch Nails, Head Like a Hole, mixed with um, Call Me Maybe, that pop mm-hmm. song. And it was called Call Me a Hole. And it worked. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, I have I have been a mashup person for best part of a decade, not making them, listening to them. Yeah, maybe more actually. And I find that there are, you can elevate even good songs to great songs to amazing songs, and then you can have some really bad mashups. And those ones always depress me when it's two things you think would work well together. And Thomas actually that that aforementioned matchup artists did a whole album of Queens of the Stone Age Kanye West stuff and there's another one on there called Better It Giveth which is First It Giveth and another Kanye West song I can't name again I'm not a big fan just meh I, I like LP better and again just he it, it's it's more than just I stuck two songs together it's he created a rhythm within the song that did not exist before because the cadence of vocals are so different in every setting have and you heard, in every mashup. Have you heard Danger Mouse uh, Grey album? I have, and I actually look down on it. I really? feel like it would, I actually feel like... Did he also do the, the... No, that was someone else. I'll get to that one in a second. But I found that album to be flashy. I felt like he was trying to do too much. I didn't feel like he was trying to make songs, which a good mashup artist should do. Good mashup artist... But yeah, but he was making an album that was the, you know, he combined two entire albums, almost. I know he did, but he didn't create songs, in my opinion. That's fair. And that's what, to me, and other people might disagree, I'm sure they will, I I would argue that there, I would argue that if you're not creating a song, you're not creating a mashup. I I would debate that, but we won't do it now. No, but that, and you know what? I'm actually a fair-minded person. To say that's what I look for in a mashup. Well, and I, I get people, it. People, it's I, like a remix. It's a, a remix. Some people see as enhancing the song. Some people see it as creating a new song. Some people see it as just making something weird, almost like art. Well, I think it can be all of those, depending on oh, you know the final product. I mean, you the end result could be any one of those things. And that's what. But what I'm getting at is people. The, the, the beauty of a mashup or a remix, though they are different things, is that inherently they are meant to be so many different things. They, they, they can be different things. And it's what makes mashups awesome is that people, people can do so many weird, weird things. And on the subject of the Grey album, a far superior one, in my opinion is JDO Head. I remember the fellow who made it. It was 
Jed, Radiohead and Jay-Z may have worked that one out. But there were songs on there that sounded as natural as the originals. That would be interesting. I'm not a Radiohead fan. so I, I am, but I'm not a huge Radiohead fan, nor am I actually a fan of a lot of the songs they used. Well, and like you I said, though, the, the combination can be something entirely new. It's like cooking. Uh, <laughs> oh, kill me for that trite example, but you, you get me. One, one, one more to ask you about. Have you heard Sad But Superstitious? Uh, the Metallica and Stevie Wonder mashup? Yes. Um, allow me to... I actually... Sad But Superstitious. Who did that? Yeah, that's um, Wax Audio. Wax Audio has done tons of yeah. awesome ones. Like... Uh, golden something uh golden it's a beatles and something else golden right teardrops it's a massive attack teardrop nice. and uh I'll have to look that one up beatles song that i'm forgetting and they also did another one with marvin gay and i believe slayer yeah i've heard that one Slash, uh, a wax audio are fantastic and they do great videos too yeah uh wax audio and djs from mars have been some of my favorite you know, and to, to close off, because I know I've ranted on this too much, the one I hate, and for a very specific reason, is Girl Talk. And the reason that I hate Girl Talk is not because necessarily of his work. He will start doing something amazing because he is ostensibly a DJ. He will start doing something. So, oh my God, he'll start doing this amazing. He did Foreplay Long Time by Boston and Del Funky Homo Sapien, and he did like a minute of it, and I was getting pumped because it was awesome. And then he went into some garbage comparison. And everything he does is like this, where it will be one long stream, which is fine. You're doing a DJ set, but complete your work, please. Don't (laughs) get me excited for a song. Yeah. And then ruin it, my friend. No, especially with mashups, like sometimes they'll use just a hook from one song and I'll get excited because it's a song I love and then I'll feel like they ruined it instead of making it better. Yes. And I that, that's that. that's when I get but I mean 90% of the mashup world is kind of crap. Of course but it is. But there's 10% it's, it's just diff- beautiful gems. It's a difficult thing to do and I'm not going to lie I've tried it and <laughs> it's just technically very difficult even if you happen to have the best setup and perfectly complete instrumentals and vocal tracks. Yep. All right. So yeah, sorry, let's move on. Sorry. I feel yeah. like I, I totally dominated that part. It was your pick. So my first pick is it's a product uh, from Indiegogo. Uh, I just got a demo unit today and it's called Mike flip. Mike all, flip. Mike flip all one word. And it's a six foot long braided cord micro usb cable but the hook is that the end you know micro usb you know how can you can only put it in one way and it's infinitely frustrating to try to do in the dark or and oh it's it's, so it's the yes i'm looking at it now so it's effectively like the lightning connector exactly it it makes it can plug in in either orientation well that's that's great if you use a lot of micro usb uh, devices a lot well, and I do like my uh, yeah. my cameras and my e cigs and all yeah, of these yeah, things. Yeah, and, yeah. So that, that, it's it's a source of frustration, and this is amazing. I've been trying it all day. Oh, I'm sure, and it's 
I I really I really strongly feel that this is the kind of thing that should have already existed, which is why I'm <laughs> glad it succeeded. Yeah. And is that one that shipped or did it? It's did currently shipping. That's that makes me really happy. Yeah, me too. There, there like, are too many Indiegogo things that don't happen. Yeah, I I have a, a history of campaigns I supported and then never got. My friend, I've worked on campaigns that have launched, <laughs> and I get angry about them. I do. But I usually, with a few examples where it was just too much money, I will usually, every time I take on one of these clients, buy the item. Yeah. And so when, when, when people get screwed, I've never had anyone come back to me and be like, hey, hey, do you represent this? What the heck? I have always said, well, I did too. I'm so sorry. I don't control the supply chain. Here's their email. Have fun. Bye. That's That seems kind of like the only way to do it. It's not your responsibility. Yes. But yeah, that's that's a really great thing. I hope they do well. I want them to get acquired by Monoprice. That would make perfect sense. And the quality yeah. of this production is it it would make a lot of sense on Monoprice. Yeah, I think that it's really just I I I yeah, that is a brilliant bloody invention. It's something that shouldn't that shouldn't not exist. <laughs> like I'm just glad it just with the amount of just successive wank that's on there like the coolest cooler i'm just happy to see one of these crowdfunding things that actually works all right so what's your second pick my second pick of things that i've bought at the moment is actually a bit egregious and my girlfriend still looks at me weird for it but i love it and and no one would not like this so i'm just that's why i'm lining up to it i bought a 88 inch 4k tv and I got the uh, curved Samsung one because I fully believe in saving up and put it, if you can, putting down as much money as you can afford to for something that will last 10 or 15 years. And I don't think 8K is coming anytime soon. Frankly, 4K is barely here. So I got this monstrosity, this curvy monstrosity. And at that size, fun fact for your listeners, that is when they start roughly curving projector screens. Hmm. And it's the Samsung UHD one. It is an absolute beauty. And I mean, at the price, yeah, of course it is. I, and, uh, sorry, go ahead. And it's just, with the 4K content, when you get it, it's great. Even 1080p looks lovely. And I put a Marantz receiver into it, forgive me for not remembering the model number, that can upscale, and the upscaling is beautiful. Oh, really? Yeah, the upscaling really does work. I forced it about two days ago, and it I expected it to be very bad, and it was very good. That's interesting. That was, that was one of my reservations with 4K, at least uh, for TV and movies, was just I a would, lack of content. I would heartily recommend anyone doing this to not get it unless they have a TV that can upscale well, but most can't, even the very expensive ones. I would recommend they go through a receiver. And at that point that you're buying a TV of that value, it is something that you should already be planning. Because I got a surround sound set as well. I realize it's a bit of an opulent choice. (laughs) It's just when it comes to 4K TVs, I find them interesting. Yeah. 
and the audio is beautiful as well. I, uh, I'm always behind the curve on TVs. I'll buy really nice uh, displays for my computer, but I just got, I just, I think a year ago, picked up a 60-inch high def. Beautiful but, choice. What'd you get? Oh, it's, I don't remember. It's like You're an the- off-brand, but it's, it's been excellent. It. It's been amazing. Never had a problem with it. Um, and I didn't need a smart TV because I have so many things hooked up to it anyway. Who needs a smart TV? I, I actually, this TV comes with everything from gesture tracking to the, every single thing that you get in a Roku. But I already had a bloody Roku. Yeah. So why would I need that? <laughs> get your hands out of my wallet, Samsung. And and it's just, but it's it's a gorgeous TV, and I really do. I've got I got I got I have special eyes, so <laughs> I I really do notice the difference, and I love the I love the thing. Was that a reference to that TV commercial? My brand, yes, of course it was. I love that. Com- My wife and I still do that. My special right. eyes. I have special eyes. <laughs> that's one of the least appreciated TV commercials of all time. I I appreciated it. So you're up. I think that's three. All right. Uh, no, I'm on my second one. So uh, there's this game I've been playing, and I don't usually talk about games because I don't know anything about games. Um, and it's based on an entire world of games that I don't understand. But it's called Dungeon Boss, and it's a role-playing game, I guess. Dungeon Dun- Boss. Yeah, I've been playing a bit of that. And, uh, and it's a game that... Immediately, I thought, oh, this is one of those games where I'm going to be expected to buy like packs every week to get ahead. And I haven't had to. It's, I'm, my progress is slow, but I'm able to, you know, build characters and level them up and compete in the tournaments without having to spend any actual money. So that for, I've never gotten into those games before, partly for yeah, the, the the hero collector games are ruthless. So yeah. I'm actually I I did put a little bit of money into it, but not much. Yeah, I love I I I love that game. It's fun. It looks good. I like the procedurally generated stuff that they do with the names. I think it's just a pretty game, and I'm I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, I I've played it every day for a couple of weeks now, so. I had to kind of include it as a pick, That's even great. though I'm a little embarrassed by it, I guess. But why would you be embarrassed by that? People? I'm not a gamer. Is, but why do you have to get a badge for that now? I think isn't there a license or a gaming license? <laughs> Imagine if people did that. Oh wait, that's that's different. That's for hunting. Yeah. Yeah, well, you don't even really need it. Oh, that's not good to guns. Uh, well, um, so my next pick. Let's think of things I have purchased. I don't want to say guns. Um, I could, but I actually just purchased Eero. Have you heard of Eero yet? Spell it. E-E-R-O. No. So what it is, is it's a kind of router. So you get it and it oper- you can get one and it operates as a router. So to get a bit techy for a second, from what I understand, it is... There's standard called wireless R, which is effectively a you can make a mesh network within a space. Yeah. So what I, I you so you get one, and I don't know why you get one. It's an easy setup router if you just get one. But you can mesh, you can create, you just get another one, you hit hit one button on the app, and it will 
jump to an, well, wherever you put it, it will create a mesh to that part of the house. I have nine in my house because I've got 3,200 square foot space to cover and I'm a giant nerd. So I have nine now spread across my house and it significantly helped. And it's one of the first routers I've ever found that does elegant switching between 2.4 and 5 gigahertz, if you understand. Didn't Google announce something like this last year? Yeah, the OnHub. Something like that. But it isn't like this. This is this is complete idiot proof stuff. No offense to the idiots listening. Um, if you're an idiot, I'm sorry. Uh, but in all seriousness, no one's an idiot if they don't know how to do this. But most wireless extenders do not operate like this. They usually just sync together and they slow things down. In this case, this meshing means that you get a consistent connection across the house. And it's just awesome. You get a new one, you plug it in, you hit a button, add Eero, it finds it using your Bluetooth on your phone, bang, it works. Occasionally one will go down, but the whole network doesn't go down. Hmm. Even when the whole... The only annoying thing is when the main network, when the internet goes down, you have to go and unplug the main one, wait 30 seconds, plug it back in, and then usually it works straight away. This is amazing. I I want this. There is a wrinkle. What's that? Quite expensive. Uh, two hundred a piece. Uh, yeah, thereabouts. Uh, but you can get a box of three for five hundred. See that with the amount of time in my life that I have spent dealing with extending networks and uh, just networking in general, it's one of my least favorite parts of technology. Trust, um, trust me, I've wasted hundreds of dollars <laughs> on broken routers or just extenders or other things yeah i have a graveyard of of yeah i have like a pile of them (laughs) just that i look at with thinly veiled anger but it's it's a great system it works well i i could not say enough good things about it i wish that i could set it so that i could do port forwarding that's one thing but i've had no problems with port forwarding so far so yeah can does it is this the only router then, or does it work off? Like, if I have an airport extreme here, can I add to that network, or does it become you plug your Ethernet into it and it is your router? So, it is meant to go directly to your modem, but because I do have a bunch of port forwarding stuff, I've kept my Netgear Nighthawk. I can't say that word seriously. <laughs> um, I. Yeah, I think I put that into bridge mode and then I just connected it to the Ethernet of that. But you're meant to do it directly to your modem, but I never did. Well, yeah, see, I would need to know that I could maintain port forwarding and open ports. Well, and... well, if you just set it to bridge mode, you'll have no issues. I did the same thing. Amazing. All right. I love this thing. I, I bought I bought three, then I bought another three, then I bought another three. <laughs> then I genuinely considered buying another three and I was like, nah, I'm all right. <laughs> Right. I'm crazy. I'm not that crazy. <laughs> All right. Well, my last pick, I finally, th- this book showed up at my uh, my favorite book retailer in the used section, and, uh, and I had heard about it for years. It was written in 2004. It's called Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, A Low Culture Manifesto. Interesting. What is um, it about? What is it about? <laughs> It's Chuck Klosterman, and he has a very kind of ADD writing style, and which is something right. I appreciate in a writer. And um, it's uh, 
each chapter, like the the uh, table of contents is written as a playlist, like a mixtape. And then each chapter is kind of a dissertation on some part of culture, especially pertaining to what was happening in the early 2000s, but kind of timeless stuff, like the way that reality TV affects our our lives and our view of uh, our own personalities and literary Jesus freaks and Pam Anderson, internet porn kind of covers. And a lot of this stuff was new then, but old hat now. But the statements on how, you know, it affected, and he writes it from a personal point of view. It's not a, like an academic overview of culture. It's, this is how this stuff changed my life. And uh, it's fascinating to me. It's, it's, it's a low culture manifesto, as the title indicates. That sounds awesome. It I want fun. to. And it doesn't sound like it has the derision that a lot of these books have. Where it's like me. This is bad. No, it's just no, no. He he talks about like how obsessed he was with the real world, and goes into detail about different seasons and and the uh, kind of how real world became reality TV and maybe what went wrong, but not from a, a derisive standpoint. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I, I love anything where smart people are willing to say, yes, you can enjoy something that is not, is different between <laughs> an Epicurean and a gourmand, that a smart person can still like something that is quote unquote made for the dumb people. It isn't made for dumb people. It's just dumber than reading Chaucer. I don't know. Chaucer sucks. Well, it's, it's being able to appreciate things despite peer pressure to... Like, if you run in academic circles, you're not allowed to read certain things or talk about them. And that gets very old very fast. Yeah, I feel like that's something I really need to read. I'm literally, like, putting it in my Amazon thing as we speak. They have the hardcover starting at one cent. Uh, I don't know, mate. (laughs) Gotta tighten my belt. (laughs) All right. So, So, yeah. Let's continue. We're we're at... An hour, but I did want to talk to you quickly about uh, mental health as it pertains to your career. Okay. And uh, one one of the, and you've been open about ADHD. And how did how did that diagnosis affect your g- getting into and and continuing in your current easy PR kind of position? So. Here's the thing. I have ADHD and attentive. And one of the most frustrating things I have seen is that people don't understand there are more than there's more than one kind of ADHD. That there are that there's in, inattentive and attentive and all this stuff. We won't get into it because I'm not that guy. I don't know everything. But I'm inattentive, so I'm disorganized. I am pained with my anxiety and the degree of depression and within the working world, disorganization is painful and you have to mitigate those problems. You have to hire the right people. You have to put the right things together. You have to make, we use an internal thing called Asana. It's basically a very fancy group to do list. I love Asana. I do too. I thought it was bad at first. (laughs) And, Here's the thing. It took me years to actually really get it. 
And when I started my business and hired Royal, who's my chief of staff, as I mentioned, he he's a friend or he is the husband of my best mate's friend, who's also a friend of mine now, just to be complex, no good reason. <laughs> but I was very frank with him. I said, I am an anxious person. I I don't lash out, but I said I am disorganized, emotional. And I just prepared him for that so that I knew I'd have the support structure inherently built in. And anyone I know who would work with me or does work for me gets this understanding because I hire people around me who I know can do things better than I can or can handle things better than I can. And that's that's how I've survived. How I've survived this long is quite beyond me. <laughs> I really don't know. I only was medicated in 20, 20, 2013, maybe. All right. Maybe 2012. No, it was 2012. And that did change my life, methylphenidate. Do you, and, are you treated for it now? Yeah, methylphenidate, 54 milligrams a day. Oh, that's uh, Focalin, right? I uh, have yeah, no, it's Concerta. Ah. Uh-huh. And the big thing that I did, though, was the whole time I've realized that it's just, I know what I will focus on. I know what I will be able to do. I know my limitations. And honestly, the moment I really just, I wrote a post recently for the next web called find out what you suck at to be the best business person or something else equally vacuous. And (laughs) I think that that's the best advice I can give in my situation. For example, I know where I will trip up and where I will need help, where I will need to give myself the space when I will, if I'm having a day when my anxiety is such that leaving the house is tantamount to removing a brick from my throat I will do my damnedest to reschedule without ruining everything. But there will equally be days where I will force myself out just because I know that mentally I am holding myself back. I am trapped in my own head. I am just anxious and vulnerable. And I get out of the house and it's always fine. Every time. Yeah. And it's brutal. It really is. It, it is something that I am medicated And one thing I have also made sure to do is publicly announce this for two reasons. There is the noble and the other one. The noble one is I want absolutely no one who has ADHD and attentive. Add a third as well, which is angry. So the noble one is I genuinely want anyone reading about this, hearing me talk about it, talk about having ADHD and still being a success. I want them to look at this in a realistic way, in a way that says you are normal. You are fine. You can work. You can be a good business person. You can succeed. There's nothing wrong with you. There's something different about you. Your brain chemistry is your brain chemistry. And anyone who says, well, I don't have that, so I'm normal, is a liar. They have something (laughs) wrong with them. Trust me, I'll find it. (laughs) And it's true, though. Everyone sucks at something. And some of us just have things that are brutal. The second one is... I truly, I, I put it out there just, I am me, I'm absolutely unapologetic for that unless I mess up. 
And if someone wants to, someone said to me, don't, aren't you afraid? In fact, I believe it was James Friend while I was talking to him about the audiobooks that aren't you afraid someone could use that against you? And I said, please come after me for my anxiety and my ADHD for aggravated depression, which does not mean anger. It just means force emotions. You feel things very intensely when you're depressed. And please come out and please publicly attack me for having these things. Please do, because I will gladly promote your nasty gram to my entire feed. I will do everything I can to make sure everyone knows that you are a hateful, prejudiced idiot. Because for the same reason as number one, I want those people, I want those people to really know that they are normal and that these people attacking them, there is justice out there for them. They do get what's coming to them. And that what's coming to them is me and my nastiness. And the third one is, I want to put more stories out there of normal people. If I hear the bloody Jet Blue guy, if I hear the story of the Jet Blue guy, CEO of Jet Blue, he has ADHD. If I hear more bloody people saying, I'm kind of ADHD, that doesn't mean you have ADHD. You're just disorganized. <laughs> Organize yourself better. Jesus Christ. You don't have ADHD. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you is you want to be special. You, for some reason, have fetishized this. I, I can't believe how many people I have said, have said oh, I have ADHD. And I've said to them, oh, me too. Uh, usually there's the conversation back and forth where it's like, oh, what do you take? How do you deal with it? And I'm like, oh, well, I don't have it. <laughs> and the last time someone said to me, I said, then why did you say you did? Well, I'm just kind of ADHD. By, by which they mean disorganized and forgetful. Yeah. No, worse. They just mean that they're making excuses for their failings. Yeah. And that sickens me. Don't use a medical condition, a psychiatric condition, a psychological condition as an excuse for your rubbishness. It's insulting to those of us who do. It's insulting for those of us who do and are not medicated. Those who will now, as a result of your flippant approach to the word that well that abbreviation i don't know adhd by you saying that you are polarizing them further that oh they don't have a real problem they're just disorganized you know what i used to have trouble being able to focus more than half an hour the moment i took concerta i actually my life literally changed i felt alive i felt awake i felt like a thing had been pulled away from my eyes Instead of these people like that who freebase Adderall, I don't know how they get it, and then they feel hyper and super focused. That's not what ADHD medication is meant to do. It's meant to bring you back to normality, give you a normal human experience from the abnormality that your condition has has cursed you with. There's nothing wrong with you having it. So here's the uncanniness of this conversation. Um, I just published a post today on my blog uh, at com because I, uh, nine years ago I was diagnosed with ADHD along with yeah. bipolar and, uh, and I began being treated and stimulants, uh, Vyvanse and Focalin uh, were both very effective for me. And may my I life. Just say congratulations for seeking help and actually getting. But wait, getting, it gets better. Getting treatment. No, it no actually, it gets way worse. <laughs> but. Um, so I went from being nothing, basically being homeless, to owning a business, to being a senior developer for a large corporation, to being an independent developer, author, blogger, writer. All of these things went really well over a decade. 
I built my entire career thanks to the medication. And then, nine months ago, my psychiatrist retired, uh, the one I'd had for the last five years. He retired, and they put me with like a new school of treatment where they do not give stimulants to adults. And because I have on my paperwork, uh, I went through rehab like uh, 16 years ago, 17 years ago. Um, and because of that, I will never get stimulants within this system, which means for nine months now, I've been back to being completely unable to work for more than 30 minutes. Uh, my anxiety is crazy. Depression. So, I am so sorry. Have, right. you, have you attempted to change doctor? Or oh, yeah. But every time you change doctor, they add another mark to your record and call it drug-seeking behavior. If you change doctors because they won't treat you with something that was working for nine years before, and that's your specific reason, that's a mark against you, and it makes it even harder for the next doctor. Grim note to add? Sue them. I just don't have the resources for that. Nine months of not working is not good for the wallet. No, no, it isn't. Let me look into it, because that, is, that, that fills me full of anger. That yeah, is the, me too. I've stayed up nights is, just being angry about this situation. Yeah, I stay up nights just being anxious. And this is <laughs> and this is the sad part of what we go through and people don't and this is the thing is that I have anxiety. Okay, how do you mean? And you have to be careful here as well to not polarize people by saying, "Oh, you only have a little bit of a problem, so it's not a problem." But there are the people who are like, "Oh, I'm anxious." What do you mean? "Oh, well, I was worried about something last night." Does this happen a lot? No. I'm just like, "Mate, come on." There are nights that I just can't sleep for anxiety, and I don't know why. It's just there. It's like my body is just like, <laughs> yes. I'm trolling you. Yes. And you're sat there in pain. And you get this a lot in the valley. You, uh, I hear I hear a, the next person who says, um, I'm, I'm ADHD, and it isn't actually ADHD. I'm going to tweet their name. I'm just be like, this person's an idiot. Screw <laughs> you, mate. Unless they're paying me money, in which case they're safe. But... I, look, look, look. I have morals, but I'm also not a complete idiot. <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, that is disgusting. Well, and, and the thing, anxiety, I all grow, growing up, all through high school and college and after, I always thought anxiety was just what happened when I wasn't on drugs, uh, which led to some serious problems with Of course it did. Drugs. You, you, you were seeking help. Right. And once People I got the diagnosis. rehab. <laughs> Once I it's had the treatment for both bipolar and ADHD, that craving went away. I didn't have a drug problem anymore. It, yes. I, it wasn't necessary for my survival anymore. And now they've put me back where I was before. Not that and I'm doing you, drugs now. And you but will find some alcoholics who actually have that as a reason. They become functional alcoholics because they need that they use it effectively as a as a way of medication of medicating and i mean for me and i'll close close it on on a light note because this, this story is funny so when i was diagnosed and also by the way i've had doctors attempt to get me off of stimulants too but my general response of my friend i have done a great deal of reading into the california medical board and i'm more than happy to file file a grievance generally scares them because they, I, I have, ne I actually also here's here's the reason as well that might help. I have it on my record permanently that I requested a lower dosage of Xanax and a lower dosage of 
um, methylphenidate. So like, the See, opposite. I did that too. <laughs> yeah, that's and they were like, "Oh, instead of lowering your dose, we're just going to take it. We'll just away. take it away. Why don't? Why do you need that? It's not worked ever, except when it has." But when I talked to the neuropsychologist that I work with, I did a five-hour neuropsych evaluation, and he. At the end, I'm doing this thing where you're blindfolded and putting shapes in. And I was I was about 15 minutes longer than anyone had historically. And he was laughing. And I don't respond well to that after five hours of grueling, terrible <laughs> bollocks. And I said, can you stop, please? I'm very frustrated. He said, no, no, please stop. Yeah, you're really ADHD. I mean, really really ADHD so the bad news is your life before this the good news is your life's going to get better the moment you go back to your psychiatrist and he said how the hell do you have a business (laughs) he genuinely said those words I said something along the lines of a swear word and he um, he laughed because he knew I was not actually angry at him he said no, but really, you have severe ADHD and attentive. How have you survived? And I said, well, funny you ask. And he stops me. He says, no, I don't want to hear business plans. <laughs> How much coffee do you drink? And so my best mate makes this incredibly powerful. I mean, 40 times. the. I think one shot is two venti lattes. You're not talking about black blood of the earth, are you? I am. Yeah, okay. He's been and- on the podcast, too. Uh, has he? You should have bloody told me that. <laughs> Phil. I, but he, I, he, he was my best man in my my first wedding. Uh, he, and he, and he, I'd been drinking that from the bottle. Yeah, that's heavy. I, and nothing would happen. I mean, I feel better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, how much coffee do you drink? I drink this. Uh, I could probably have another two, three in the day. When, when do you stop drinking coffee? Uh, when do I go to sleep? I don't know. And he said, oh, interesting. He takes notes. He writes, I wish you were staying in New Jersey. I want to write a paper on this <laughs> because you have been sublimating at such an extreme level that you have done your, your body has done its best to seek out as close to a stimulant-based medication as humanely possible. So that's actually how they found out. I am disgusted by how you've been treated. And any listeners who have ADHD, just if this happens to you, let's let's make some noise in a nasty place. Let's do something nasty. You you should. Where are you based, Brad? Minnesota. You should report this to the to whatever medical boards there are. This is not that you. They are intentionally harming you. Now I'm no lawyer, so. And and that was my last conversation with the psychiatrist I just left last week was why, why would you do this to me? Like it's clearly causing harm that was never happening 10 years prior. And he just thought he was better. Believe me, I've had, I've had various GPs attempt to get me completely off it to which I've just sat there, folded my arms and said, you don't want this argument. I see. I need, I need to do the legal research, I guess. Yes, you do, and I I wish you the best. And honestly, this has been a pleasure. So uh, it's nice to speak to someone who really understands. This has been a pleasure. Thank you for uh, for the time and for being so open. 
No, of course. That's what I'm here for. Thank you for having me on the show. All right. And uh, you can be found on Twitter. I think it's just Ed Zittern, right? Yep, that's me. The guy who was at EZ. I'm coming for you, mate. <laughs> you better run. All right. And then uh, you can find EZPR at, for some reason, EZ-PR.com. I assume. Actually, you can also find it at EZPR.com. I own that domain now. Okay, good. That makes more sense. It's a beautiful domain. All right, so we'll just say that. You can find it at EZPR.com. That's the letters E-Z. And uh, anywhere else you want to link, I'll have links to uh, to your last book, and you can keep us posted on the new one. Of course. Um, yeah, that's, you'll find everything on my tweet, my, my, my web zone on Twitter. All right. So, yeah, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And that was episode 162 with Ed Zittron. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back in two weeks. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.